0: Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5. So this is our second second sermon in our Lenten series, and I'm calling it Devotions, and I confess I changed the title like three times. So to all of you who worked on the graphics, I just want to publicly apologize because I think they had to make like four different series of it because I kept changing what I was going to call this. This is really like the introduction message. Last week, I wanted to talk about fasting to invite you all to think about what you're doing for Lent. But, but this is the message that all the rest of them are going to flow out of. When we talk about scripture, when we talk about prayer, when we talk about generosity, what do I call all those things together? All those things we do in our daily lives to get to know the Lord better. And so, I originally, I called it worship, and then I called it work, personal worship. And I think I was down to, like, personal devotion, and Tim's like, okay, fine, it's too late. We're calling it devotion. You're done. Make it work. Because I'm not having the graphics people do this again. So, I kind of like that, actually, devotions, because it, it has two different meanings. There's devotion like the attitude inside us, we're devoted to something. But then within Christianity, devotions often is a noun. It, it's what we do every day to help us get to know Jesus better. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So turn in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to start reading at verse 11, but I actually have to give you just a little context to what's going on, because we're jumping down in the middle of the book. Um, the book of Hebrews, what was written to Jewish Christians. So this is probably 40 years or so, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, you've got all of these people who grew up Jewish. So they went to temple and they did the festivals and they had the kosher laws and all that. And now they become Christians and they have questions like, what happened to the sacrifices? Why don't we have a high priest anymore? What is going on with this Jesus guy? And the book of Hebrews explains that. And I really, really appreciate the book of Hebrews, because when I got serious about the faith in college, uh, I started reading my Bible, right? I mean, you hear that all the time, read your Bible. And like many of you, I started at the beginning. And so I read Genesis, and I got through Exodus. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is jamming. I'm good with this. And then I got into the second half of Exodus, which is just like, how many times can you say 30 silver rings? Like, I got it. You need 30 silver rings on every sheet that you, I, yes. The underwear the high priest wears is detailed very specifically. There is nothing this man puts on. I mean, his jewelry, his hat, everything. And then I got into Leviticus and I'm starting to think, church doesn't look anything like this. Like, this is in the Bible. Why don't we do any of this? What? My church doesn't look anything like this. So I went to my pastor that next Sunday. After when the church was out, you know, he stood at the back like I do. His name was Alan. I got there. I'm like, Alan, you got to help me. <laughs> okay. This is a serious question. Why don't you have blood on your right big toe, your right thumb, and your right earlobe? Because the Bible says anyone who ministers before the God's altar had better have blood on him. And he laughed and he's like, you're reading Leviticus, aren't you? Like, (laughs) yes. It's like, yeah, make you a deal. Okay. Stop what you're reading and read the book of Hebrews. Just jump forward, read the book of Hebrews. You read a couple chapters a day, you'll read it easily in under a week. Then next week, come back. And if you need to, we'll get together and talk. And so I read the book of Hebrews. I came back to church the next week. I met Alan at the back door. He shakes my hand. He's like, okay, do do you want to get together? You want to talk about this? And I said, no, I'm good. I get it. Like, I, I, I get it. It explains why we don't do these things anymore. The book of Hebrews explains all this. So, the author of Hebrews, at this point, in the middle of chapter 5, has just finished a section on how Jesus can possibly be the Messiah. Because if you heard me talk about this before, you know Messiah means anointed. And Messiah is this character that is foretold all throughout the Old Testament who's going to unite the two roles where men are anointed when they become that person. The king who is anointed when he assumes the kingship and the priest who is anointed when he becomes a priest. That's part of both their induction ceremonies. And they can't possibly be the same guy because the priests are from the tribe of Levi and the king is from the tribe of Judah. So they literally are from different families going back over 1,000 years. They can't be the same guy. How can Jesus possibly be the Messiah? He can be the king, sure, he's from the tribe of Judah, but he's not from the tribe of Levi. And the author of Hebrews has just finished explaining that Jesus is not a Levitical priest. He's a priest in a much older order of priests, and he's gone back to Genesis to explain it. He's laid all this out. Now, we pick up what he has to say. He's just explained this to him. Jesus absolutely is the Messiah, but he's not a priest from Levi. He's a priest from this much older guy called Melchizedek. So let's pick up in chapter 5, verse 11, and read down through the third verse and 6. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So, the author of Hebrews just finishes this, this explanation of how Jesus can be the Messiah. And then he turns to him and he says, there's so much more that I, I need to tell you about this. There's so much more I need to tell you for you to understand this, but I can't because you don't even bother listening anymore. You know, Anybody who knows me, um, you know that I, all that, you know, those things they say about how you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. You know, that's not actually true, is it? If you've got fruit flies and you set out a cup of honey and a cup of vinegar, where do all the fruit flies end up, right? But I have firmly bought into that. Encouragement is the way people change. People change in love and acceptance and encouragement. So Paul will tell Timothy, when Timothy is a young pastor, he's pastoring the church in the city of Ephesus, he'll tell Timothy, as a pastor, you need to rebuke, you need to admonish, and you need to encourage. And if you know me, you know I am 90% encouragement, 9% admonishment, and 1% rebuke. Because I think encouragement is the best way to help people move forward. I am not that guy today. Because this is not an encouraging message and this is not an encouraging passage. And the guy who's writing, whoever is writing Hebrews, we don't actually know who wrote it, whoever the author of Hebrews is, they are not encouraging. They are exhorting and they are rebuking. I mean, listen to what they say about this. We have so much more to tell you, but it's hard to make it clear because you no longer try to understand. Like, like the way he writes it, right? you used to try. You're not even trying anymore. And I wonder how many of us that is true for. I bet for lots of us, you can think of times, if you've been a Christian for a while, and some of you haven't, some of you are brand new, and great, we'll get there. If you've been a Christian for a while, can you think of times when you were more committed? You were more serious. You wanted to know. It mattered more to you. One of my favorite books is C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which is written from the perspective of a demon teaching another demon how to make Christians ineffective, how to tempt them and keep them. I mean, there's nothing they can do about your salvation, but they don't want you messing with anybody else or being a hindrance to their plans. So the whole book is, the, is you know, theoretically instructions from a demon. And he, the, the, the demon he's counseling wants to make this guy's life really hard. He's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him hard things and make it really bad for him and all. And the big demon, his, his mentor, is like, absolutely don't do that. Trials drive people to God. No, make his life easy. Make it comfortable. The road to hell, it should be a gradual slope with no stones or anything that could bother you. Make it easy on him, and he will forget all about God. Said We want men to feel like they're getting along in the world and they're having their way in the world when actually the world is having its way in them. And that's what he's talking about. He's like, you guys used to care. You used to try. You're not trying anymore. And I wonder how many of us in here that is true for. We used to care. We used to try. It's just not that big a deal anymore. We tried that. It wasn't that great. It didn't work the way we thought. Whatever it was. We we got married. We had kids. We got jobs. We used to try. But he says, you don't even try anymore. In fact, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. That's a really polite way to translate what he says to them. It's quite harsh the way he says it. He, He literally tells them, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the beginnings of God's word. Milk. You need the absolute basics. You've been believers for a while. Again, we, we don't know exactly where the people receiving this letter are. We just know that they're Jewish Christians from some of the things he says. We don't know how long they've been Christians. But again, it's been 30 some odd years since the death and resurrection of Christ. They, they Presumably, they have a functioning church. And he says to them, you guys ought to be teaching other people by now. But you're not. You're just feeding. You just want to feed. You just want people to feed you all day long, over and over again. And anyone who lives on milk is a baby. Anyone who lives on milk is a baby. They are not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use— have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I looked up for this message, what are, what are the most popular life verses? When people say, oh, this is my life verse, you know, this is the verse I'm basing my life on, what are they? And you can pretty well imagine. They're very encouraging, very hopeful messages. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And no one quotes the verse right before that that says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are like sheep being led to be slaughtered. Another one way up there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And no one reads the verse right before that about suffering and deprivation. We love the parts of the Bible that encourage us, that God is for us, that he is at work in us, the, the parts that, that feed us, and they're all in there, and they're all 100% true. But folks, maybe this should be our life verse. Solid food is for mature people who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you hear that? Constant. Not coming to church one time a week. This is not going to do it for you. Don't get me wrong. This is important. You should absolutely do this. I would not be up here preaching to you if I didn't think it was valuable. But it is in no way, shape, or form constant use. And you are not training yourself. That word train, it means literally to go to the gym. It's where we get our English word gym. You go to the gym. How much? How much? If, if you go to the gym, the average person who, who says, I attend, I attend church regularly, right? That has now slipped to less than two times a month. If you, and, when they, and they interview people and say, do you go to church regularly? Anyone who goes to church once to twice a month says, yes, absolutely. If you go to the gym once a month, how much will it benefit you? That's a totally serious question, folks. If you go to the gym once a month, if you get on the treadmill on the first of the month and the 15th of the month, how much cardiac endurance are you building? Zero. Thank you. Absolutely none. It doesn't help you. It pushes you and you're tired and you're sweaty and you get an endorphin rush and then you do nothing for the next two weeks and it's gone no one trying to accomplish anything significant trains once a week ask mike shetler how often he plays the bass i can assure you this is not the only time (laughs) if you want to get good at something you don't need the bible to tell you this you gotta train you got to work. You got to make it a priority. I want to be good at this. So I read it every day. I've been reading it every day for over 14 years. Okay? Now I try and read it in Greek and Hebrew every day because that's what I want to be good at. We were joking about it in the back room earlier today like what, you know, what do you do in your devotions, right? Well, the first thing I do is I read a little Greek and I read a little Hebrew. Because you know what happens when I don't? When I've studied Hebrew, and I've learned it, and I've done, and then I put it aside for a couple months, and you know what happens? It's gone. My vocabulary drops from thousands, right, to dozens of words. I see words, and I'm like, oh, I I know, I recognize that word. It's in there. No, I can't find it. I got to look it up. If you want to get good at something, you know you have got to practice it. If you want to get good at distinguishing good from evil. Now, here's something really interesting. The word distinguish is almost, it's the exact same root in the language of the Bible as the word doubt. Because it's, I told you, they love to like jam words together and make bigger words. It's the word to judge something, to make a decision And the word for through. And one way you write it, the through means like, oh, my son lost a toy in the backyard, and so I went through the backyard looking for it. Which means I did this. I went back and forth. I just, over and over and over again, I went through the backyard. And another way you write it, through means I went through the door and out. Boom. No, none of this. I went right through the door. The one that means back and forth, that's the word in the Bible to doubt. Doubt doesn't mean that you don't believe something. That's the word don't believe. I don't believe it. I don't think it's true. Doubt means you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, maybe that's right. No, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yes, no. Yes, no. Which is why the Bible says if you don't know what to do, you can ask God and he'll tell you, but don't doubt. That doesn't mean don't wonder if he's really there. It doesn't mean don't disbelieve him. It means don't go back and forth. Maybe he'll tell me. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll tell me. Maybe he won't. Maybe I'll listen. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Don't do that. That's doubting. Ping-ponging back and forth. But this word discern, you go right through. A lot of people, and maybe in this room today, see good and they see evil, and they go, "Should I do that? Should I do that? Should I do that? Should I do that? Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I." Do. Bop, 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 bop. If you want to discern, discern is pop, pop that one go. I don't go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I see between through. Boom, you do it. Because folks, I am sure you realize this. But out there in the world, they do not agree on what the Bible says is good and evil. And they're trying to evangelize you constantly. Every movie you watch, what happens when the evil bad man does evil bad things and the hero comes in and he beats the snot out of him? And we cheer because they're playing on our sense of justice. What does this say about justice? God says justice is mine. You don't do it well. It is mine. I will take revenge. You never take revenge. That is mine. But we cheer every time we see someone do it. And wow, let's not get started on sex. Sex. The world is trying to evangelize you constantly. It's trying to tell you that all the things that Scripture says are true, they're suggestions. I mean, it's all relative. Sure, if you want to, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, but this, oh, this, you got to do this. This is important. You have to have this. The world is trying to tell you constantly what is right and wrong. How do you know? How do you not go, pup, 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 pup. oh, the world, the Bible, the world, the Bible, the world, the Bible? the How do you go, oh, God, right, boom, straight through? You train yourself by constant use, not by going to the gym once a week or, heck, twice a month even. Devotions. Right, that, that time we spend with God. We are going to be talking each of the next several weeks about the components of that. Like, like we're going to spend a whole week on Scripture. We're going to spend a whole week on prayer. We're going to spend a whole week on generosity and silence and Sabbath and all these different things that we do to remind ourselves of the truth. But you must be committed to doing them. Because whoever wrote Hebrews, he's just written to these guys explaining something, probably even something they were asking, something that confused them. And afterwards, he says to them, "Ah, there's so much more I need to tell you, but you don't care. You don't actually care. Have you met people like that? Have you talked to folks like that? You know, I I get, as a pastor, right, I'm out in the community. I talk to a lot of people. Talk to a lot of you all. I talked to a lot of people who aren't in our church. I talked to a lot of Christians from other churches and non-Christians and and everything else. And it doesn't take long to figure out who has a a sincere question and who doesn't. And the people who come to me and want to know, you know, why are Christians, why are you so judgmental? And I'll say, about what? Well, about everything. Okay, great. What, What has a Christian judged you on? Well, not me personally. I just read on the internet. Like, oh, well, it must be true then, of course. If you read it on... The, you know, I read on the internet a guy named Bob who thinks he's a llama. You think everybody whose name is Robert thinks they're a llama? They, they just want to argue. They're not interested. They're not even trying. They don't want to know the truth. And then there are people who really do, that, that you talk to, and they're like, oh, thank you. Even the people who completely disagree with you. Like, oh, I, I, I get it, I... I yeah, that makes sense. I see. I'm going to have to think about that. I see why you say that. that, that, that that's not, I, I thought that was ridiculous, but you're right. You, you are being consistent. Hebrews says, you got to practice or you're going to be the former guys. You're going to be the guys who ultimately don't really care and don't really want to know, but you've got all these questions that come into you. What about this in the Bible? And what about this in the Bible? And what about that? And what about these hard stories and everything? And there are answers. All those hard questions in the scriptures, there are answers. Some of them we don't like. Because some of them, the answer is God says, The whole world is mine. I can do anything I want. You are mine. Your life is mine. I can do anything I want. But there are answers in the scriptures to so many of the things we wrestle with. But you have to care. And whoever wrote Hebrews, like, "Ah, you don't even want to bother anymore. Is that any of you? Like, seriously, ask yourself that question. Is that you? Have you stopped caring? Did you used to care and you don't? Is this it? Is this the only thing that you get in the week of spiritual consequence? Do you just come here to be fed? Oh, the music's good, and we get this. You know, I normally, 99 99 times out of 100, I'm going to be encouraging. I get this really encouraging message. And folks, that's milk. That's milk. How long? In the lifespan of a human, how long do you drink exclusively milk? What would happen if you found a 10-year-old and all they'll do is drink milk? If you want to grow, you gotta care first. And if you care, then you have to work. Brothers and sisters, your salvation is a free gift. Totally free. Cost you nothing. Cost Jesus' life. Costs you nothing. Your sanctification is work. Your salvation is when you became a Christian, when Christ saved you. He transferred you from the realm of the dead to the realm of the living, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But becoming more like him, that takes work. Now, I have good news. God will do that eventually. One way or another. It says it in Scripture. Romans says God has predestined us to look like Jesus. It will happen but our part is to work to train ourselves to know good from evil there's a story about the apostle paul in acts that i still don't know what to do with he's in the city of philippi he's preaching if you've read acts you know paul as he's wont to do he preaches a little too long He just keeps going when he might, maybe should have kept his mouth shut. But he starts a riot. He gets arrested. They take him to the jail, and the jailer beats him with a rod, scourges him, so whips him so his back is shredded, puts him in jail, which means you're chained to the wall, and then just because he's feeling especially sadistic, puts him in what we translate as the stocks, but it's not this kind of thing like we do stocks. It's this thing that to your legs that splays your legs out so you have zero chance of ever going to sleep. It's just there to make you so, it's so painful and uncomfortable, you will never sleep. You will just be awake constantly in pain. The jailer puts him in these. There is an earthquake that night and the chains fall off and the walls fall down. And the jailer, who's a former Roman soldier, so he knows what the punishment is when you're, the guys in your jail get loose. It's a, it's, it's a capital crime. If you let a prisoner go loose, you trade your life for theirs. So he's going to be crucified. He's going to be executed. And so he pulls out his little short sword that Roman soldiers have, and he's going to kill himself. And Paul, from the back of the jail, it says it's all hazy because, you know, it's been an earthquake. There's dust and all in the air. Paul sees him pull that sword, and he starts screaming down the jail, don't hurt yourself! We're still here! Don't hurt yourself! If he had kept his mouth shut, then a man that beat him, whipped him, and put him in the stocks, would have killed himself. Paul would have had nothing to do with it, he'd be completely innocent, totally 100% innocent if he had just pretended he never saw that. And when he sees it, he starts screaming, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. And you totally get why the jailer runs in, prostrates himself in front of Paul, and says, What do I have to do to be like you? What do I got to do to be saved? Because I look at that story and I think, What I kept my mouth shut, what I have just pretended not to see, and a man that had horribly, horribly abused me, whipped, beaten, Put into stocks. I mean, that, the stocks, you don't have to do that. That's just being a jerk. He's got to chain him up. Maybe he was even required to whip him. That might have been part of the penalty. Putting him into stocks is just because he wants to be a little sadistic. Maybe because you made him get out of bed that night to haul you off or something. Would I have yelled down the corridor, I'm still here. Don't hurt yourself. Paul. Paul had this. Paul knew what was right and what was wrong. And when he saw that happening, he didn't go, should I talk? Should I not? Should I talk? It's probably the right thing. Ah, you know, if I keep quiet, I mean, it'd be good for the world if this guy was gone. Seriously, like, this is just a bad man. But, you know, does God really want to do that? Well, but he's a wrong... None of that, bing, 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 back and forth. Paul saw it, and he started yelling. Paul had trained himself to know good from evil. And I wonder, I wonder if I would have. Brothers and sisters, this takes work. It takes effort. It takes determination. It takes decisions. And wow, someday I do not want this said about our church. However all these things work out, in God's timing, I never wanted said, ah, oh, Dunwoody Community Church, I had so much more I wanted you to do. You didn't even try anymore. It's so much more for you, so much more to teach you, so much more ministry I wanted you to do, but ah, oh, you're just tired and, and you can't be bothered. Therefore, chapter six, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Listen to what he lists as the elementary teachings. Repentance from the acts that lead to death, faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, or literally instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. Are you good with all those? Because that's the basics, he says. That's the basics. And, And it is repentance, faith, baptism, ministry, death, resurrection, judgment. Like, could you explain that to somebody? If somebody asks you, it's like the creed. You know, I believe in the holy Christian church. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the life everlasting. Could you tell somebody that? But you learn it by constant training, by constantly taking in a diet of scripture, a, a constant diet of prayer. A constant diet of meeting with Christians, one of the reasons we so encourage you to get involved in discipleship groups and community groups and all these things. Like, do you look at that and go, oh, yeah, sure, I, I got that, absolutely. So, Wednesday, remember that's sort of the pattern. We do the, the service where you get the theory, and then Wednesday, we try and be really practical. So, Wednesday at 7, we're going to meet in the fellowship hall around tables, and we're going to talk about daily devotions. Like, how do we do this? How do we train ourselves? What does training look like? If you wanted to get to be a really good swimmer, you would go get a coach and you would have certain exercises you would do. You would learn certain things. There's some things you do, some things you wouldn't. You wanna be a distance runner. You're gonna do other kinds of exercises. You wanna be a football lineman. You're gonna eat different food. You're gonna do different exercises. If you wanna get good at knowing Jesus, if you don't ever want him to say this to you, I had so much more for you but you just didn't care, then you need to train every day. That's what people do to get good. You train. So on Wednesday, we're going to talk about what training looks like for Christians. If you already have some sort of devotional life, if you already know what you do, great blessings on you. The scriptures do not tell us, oh, this is how you pray. You spend 30 minutes in prayer, and you go 10 minutes here and 10 minutes here, and the scriptures don't say, thou shalt read one chapter of the Bible a day and that is left to us. You have freedom to choose how you train. The scriptures don't prescribe all the exercises. They just tell you, wow, you need to do them. So we'll meet Wednesday. and Tim is going to share what he does in his devotions, and Becca's going to share what she does in her devotions, and I'm going to share what I do in my devotions, and you're going to get to hear all these wide range of things, all the different times, all the different things that we do, all the different exercises. We're going to talk about a bunch of different exercises, things you can do. If you have a devotional life, blessings on you. Have your devotions on Wednesday night. If you don't and you care, then please come join us Wednesday at seven. Seven o'clock at night, won't last any more than an hour. And we're gonna talk about these things and we're gonna practice them. Like we're gonna run through, we're gonna have, we're gonna spend you know, 30 minutes in training or so and then we'll spend 30 minutes. Okay, let's, let's try have a devotion. Let's spend 10 minutes with this and 10 minutes in this. We'll, we'll walk you through it. If you have a devotional life and you are growing in Christ and this is not you, amen, thank you. If you don't, then come join us and let's learn. Let's learn together what this looks like. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask Jesus to speak to you, to me, to us. Is this us? Because if it is, we need to know. Because if you're training once a week and you think you're going to go run a marathon next month, wow, are you in for a surprise. If you think, oh, I'm going to go do this sport but I'm only training a couple times a month, you're going to get walloped when you get out on the field. So let's pray. Let's see if God has anything to say to you because everything he says is good. See if he says, yeah, I want you to come Wednesday night. Yeah, you need to learn these things. Or maybe he'll tell you, hey, I want you to start doing this. You know, there's Bible reading plans in the back. Grab one on your way out. You can start today. Start putting a little bit of scripture into your heart and mind every day. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you. I thank you for your kindness. You know, thank you that, that salvation is a gift, that you don't require anything from us for that. You, you just allow, allowed us to become your children. All we have to do is say yes to you. That is so kind of you. You have paid for our sins. You have reconciled us to your Father. You offer it as a free gift. It's simply our choice whether we want it or not. Uh, but Lord, we know that, that salvation is not some sort of honor society that we get inducted to and then we're done. It is the very beginning of the journey. It's like, like the author of Hebrews says, it's like birth. And then there's infancy, and then there's maturity and adulthood. And We want to move to maturity, Lord. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be those kinds of people, that, that we are mature, that we have trained ourselves, that we're not fooled. That when the world tells us that what is evil is good, that we know immediately it's not true. That when we're faced with those situations, like Paul was faced with, where he had to act in the moment, if he had doubted, if he had hesitated, if he had pinged back and forth for a couple minutes on whether he should do this or not, then that jailer would have died. But, but he didn't. He knew. He knew exactly what was right. He knew what he needed to do. And so we call that jailer our brother in Christ. We will meet him in your kingdom one day. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for Dunwoody Community Church. Pray for everybody listening to me. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Like, is this us? Have we stopped caring? Are, are, Are we telling ourselves, oh, I go to church once every few weeks, and so that's good. That's all I need to do. Lord, be gracious to us. We want to care. We want to be your people. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for anyone that this is true for, that they have stopped caring, that Jesus, you will give them enthusiasm again, that you will speak to them, that you will give them purpose, that they will want to know you better. And for all of us, Jesus, uh, give us courage, give us determination. Training is hard. It is hard to exercise every day. It is hard to go out every day and to do these things over and over You know what a fickle people we are. Give us courage. Give us determination. Help us to be people that that this is true about, that we know the difference between right and wrong. We're not fooled when the world tries to tell us nonsense. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. As we take communion, as we sing again, as we go home and have lunch and do the rest of our days, speak to us, Lord. Is, there, is any of this true about us? Is there anything you want us to do or to change? Because we desire to be your faithful people. And so, Lord, we ask all of this in your name. Amen.